Episode 33 of the False Neutral Podcast, the podcast that asks the question, huh, what? We don't know what we're going to talk about today. It's going to be a free-for-all. It's going to be one of those just stream of consciousness yeah. kind of days. Something just came to my mind. I remembered we were going to talk about this a while back, but somebody, one of our listeners had a question about, and Pete, remind me about this. He had a question about a motorcycle I think it was a first motorcycle, but something that he could ride with his wife that was like sub two thousand dollars. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't remember the the specifics on it, but am I on the right trail with that one? Yeah, you're remembering it about as well as I did, and I should remember it more because we don't get that many questions. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I don't remember if it was uh, maybe on Facebook or Hooniverse where that question was asked, but. I think that we're somewhere along the right lines. I think that he had $2,000 or so in cash and oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Could, and he could take out some money, but, you know, probably didn't want to spend a whole lot more than $2,000, but he also wanted to be able to... Oh, he could spend more if he could finance it. That's what it was. That's right. It had to be something he could that, finance. Right. It was going to be more than two grand. So do you have an idea? Um, no. Well, yes, but... <laughs> so, I brought that up. So, sorry, that was so really was important this, to bring that up. <laughs> ride with his wife as in being two up? Yeah. Yeah, it was something uh, that... Oh, that was the one where he said, because I want to ride with my wife weekly or something like that. And we weren't sure if it meant like a week-long trip or she was going to ride with him one day out of seven or what. So... Right. Well, the thing that came to mind, that that is a very narrow category. If you want something... So I got the impression that he wasn't going to be working on a motorcycle, didn't want a project or anything like this. Just wanted something that he could put some miles on and really not have to think about at all. And so that that's a tall order to fill if you're only going to spend a couple thousand bucks. But a couple of things that came to mind were like the mid-2000s Honda Shadow-E type of motorcycles, where they're almost like a Ford Taurus because they made tons of them, and the resale is just horrendous on them. But they're not awful bikes, um, and you can find them all day long for 2000 bucks. Yeah. Some of them had a pretty small back seat over the rear fender, which wouldn't be that comfortable for a passenger, but... I'm not sure if it was just like a package difference or something, but I've seen some that have a much more substantial rear seat. Yeah, because they them, had the so. Arrow and the Classic or Saber, the yeah, the all those. So yeah, yeah. So something along those lines probably wouldn't be a bad idea. They don't make a lot of power, but at least they're a V-twin motor and they have a moderate amount of torque, so you could ride two up on them, and you know it. it would at least get down the freeway just fine. And then the only other thing that came to my mind, but they're a little bit harder to find and probably just slightly more expensive are the Nighthawk. Are they a 750 Nighthawk 750 of the like 
early nine or not early uh mid to late 90s variety that have yeah. a hydraulic uh, valve train in them so they don't require valve adjustments or anything yeah. like that um something along that those would, lines that would too. actually be good because those do have a decent size standard kind of seat on it and you could put right. saddlebags on it if you wanted to either soft or hard bags you could yeah. adapt to that and they're pretty much maintenance free except for oil changes yeah so so no. those are my two thoughts on that don't ask me how I came up with this one off the top of my head, but I did, and it's out there. And it's a bike that most people hated, but the people who bought them absolutely adore them. And that is the Honda Pacific Coast 800. Oh, yeah. I love Pacific Coast. They look like a jet ski on land. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, it's all, it, it, it serves both purposes. If he wants to ride once a, wife, once a week with his wife... Well, there's certainly enough room. If he wants yeah. to go on a week-long trip, there's certainly enough room for all this Yeah, stuff. well, and I like the integrated, like, you can put luggage in it, and it's all integrated into it. And they're a really unusual-looking motorcycle, but I really like them. And we- so I just did, like, a quick search on Cycle Trader with, like, all I said was Pacific Coast. And yeah. you can get, like, a 98 for $3,500, a 2011 right. 54 but there's a bunch of stuff here, like, mid-90s. Right in that two thousand to three thousand kind of range, so and basically uh, it's a shadow motor. It's the same thing you were saying about yeah. a shadow. You know, it's the it's that's not a bad idea. We had one that was a used bike that was at the dealership where I worked for quite a while, and we called it the trash truck because it had that big clamshell in the back. It looked yeah. like you know you should just open up the back once a block and throw some trash in the back yeah. from a can. They almost look like a gigantic maxi scooter that you don't actually step through on. But... I thought you were going to say a gigantic maxi pad. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that too. Yeah, so at any rate, I've been daydreaming about a Aprilia Tuano lately. There you go. Because I, I, I feel like I talk about this every every show. At some point, when I'm done with school and things settle down a little bit, I'm going to buy a motorcycle. And I love Super Nakeds. So I've talked about the FZ10, and it is pretty unattractive, but I still like it. And I like the Super Duke R, except that it's pretty unattractive, but I still like it. But the Aprilia Tuano is like everything, right? So it's beautiful, gorgeous motorcycle, amazing power plant, all of the neat gadgets that a person could want. Um, less money than a Super Duke and slightly more than a FZ10. Um, but I was talking to my friend about it and he made a good point. We have a, a Ducati dealer here and they used to do Aprilia too, but they quit selling Aprilia's mainly because of the support that Aprilia, well, I would say was providing, but wasn't providing was a problem. Um, getting warranty work done or parts or anything like that. They really had a, a tough time with it. And I don't know if it was all models or certain models or what, but my friend brought up a good point because I was talking about the Aprilia Tuano being the bike that I might get when the time comes, and that was support. If you buy a bike like that, say, you know, people love it and, and, and it's an amazing bike, but is the lack of support enough to prevent somebody from buying it, or is that just kind of one of the things that you have to deal with if you want what you think in your mind is the perfect motorcycle. I'm not saying that it is, but what do you guys think? I, I don't know enough about living with 
an Italian motorcycle, especially one as complicated and stressed as that one. I've heard everything positive and negative that you can imagine about them, but I don't have any real firsthand experience or even guys that I know. Uh, I do have a friend at work that uh, one of our engineers has a 750 Dorsoduro, and uh, uh-huh. he loves it. He's, he stole it. He, he got it. For yeah. s- it was a, I think a two year old non current that they still had at the dealership and they were ready to move it. And he bought it for a song and he just loves it, but he's only had it about a year. So I, I yeah. would hope you could get through the first year without any without any big problems. problems without having to go back to the dealership. Yeah. So so, yeah. so the thing with a, a couple things. One, they part probably also dropped Aprilia because Ducati wants its dealers to be single point dealers. Yeah. Um, so that's a that's a thing. Um, the other is uh, there is a pretty big community of Aprilia owners. Um, the AF1 Aprilia based out of Austin, Texas is like probably the largest Aprilia dealer. So if you ever need parts, you can get them because they're, they're great. They've got a bulletin board. That's amazing. Or message board, whatever you call it this, this week. Um, that said, Aprilia's are fairly robust. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not the Italian, stuff you think of from even like the early and mid eighties. They're they're fairly rust. They're and what issues that, that they do have are are pretty well known and the, the fixes are pretty pretty easy. Um or at least because I peruse that I peruse that board for like a decade now. Um that seems to be the the thing. And if you have problems, there's a group of people who are willing to help you out and other dealers, you know which ones are the ones they go to and which ones are not. So as far as support I, I don't I see that sort of as a non non issue. I've I've been trying to communicate that to a buddy of mine down in Chattanooga because he's kind of along the same ways. He likes a Tuano and he's only got like a twenty eight or twenty nine inch inseam. He's like five seven or five six, yeah. but he's got like really short legs. And he has this thing where because he rode Harley's back in the day that he wants to have both feet flat on the ground, which I'm like, yeah, you know, get over that. Um, <clears throat> and the reason he won't buy an Aprilia is because the nearest one to him is two hours away in Atlanta. I'm like, it's it's a non-issue, dude. But yeah. he wants something well, local to him in his town. So anyway. And even two hours away is, I mean, that doesn't really seem like a big deal. And so there's no Aprilia dealer here in Portland, but um, there is in Seattle, which is about 160 miles away, which, I mean, that's not a big deal to me. If I need a dealership, I'm assuming that I wouldn't need it regularly. And if I had to take a, you know, two or three hour trip to the dealership, that's not a problem. And um, maintenance maintenance intervals like where you need to bring in if like valve adjustment. I mean, you're you know what the hell they're doing on valve yeah. adjustment. I mean, it's not like so it'd be have to be something pretty severe that you would have to have to bring right. it in. So and you know the RSV motor is not something that's brand new. Uh, they did change it what a year or two years ago from the thousand cc to the eleven hundred last um, year, but it's essentially Toronto. the same motor, just right. Larger bore. So yeah, I mean that motor's been in existence for. Six years now, I want to say 2011, I think was the first year. Yeah. So, so 10 or 11, something like that. Yeah. But boy, I really fell in love with the Tuano. I never really considered it. Um, and so I never even really read much about it because I wasn't I wasn't really that interested in, in Aprilia. But then I started looking at it a little bit more and and boy, I really fell in love with it. Um Especially the aesthetics of it, because it looks so much better than the FC10 or the Super Duke R. So, motorcycle.com did a, a 
super naked shootout and it essentially won that thing hands down. Yeah. So, yeah. And I've heard it's just as capable around a track as it is on the street. It's, yeah. it's, you know, especially with that V twin power, it's got good V4. usable torque or yeah, sorry. I meant V4. Yeah, um, the old one was a V twin, but this one's a V4. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but in, on the track, it's just spectacularly fast too, from what I understand. I, I don't understand why people call them naked, though, when they have a fairing and a fairly big well, fairing. They don't have much windshield, but they're they're not a naked bike. Right. Well, the, the Tuano is less naked than a lot of them are. Uh, some of them have a little tiny like exhaust shroud on them, but the, the Tuano actually has. It's just mainly where the engine is is cut away, but there's still that portion of deflection of a fairing there but uh you know it's it's just kind of become a a, a catch-all term urban sports category. <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly it's kind of an invented term um it, where you place a motorcycle into because you you know need to compete with with now, other manufacturers now the older ones did have just kind of a little i mean you, could, you could yeah you could see it was a it was a frame mounted headlight but it was just a little like nacelle and you could see the forks from the side it didn't go all the way down the new ones are really not uh well yeah. i don't know yeah i, I, like I don't before, really know why so. they call them a naked i i guess because you can see the engine yeah and nowadays most bikes with fairings are full fairings that completely cover the the side of the you know yeah slab sides on them but yeah. uh, what's amazing right. is it, it doesn't have a whole lot less fairing than the what is it the RSV yeah well it's missing all the bottom though like essentially from the from the bottom of the frame down uh, other than like a little chin little chin thing to protect like the oil cooler um, in and around the oil cooler. It's, yeah. It reminds you know, me, actually, what, what it reminds me of is, um, the up to like up to 90, like 90 to 95, like Ducati 900 SS with the half fairing. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what it, uh, reminds me of. I'm not really sure why they even ditch the fairing. Um, or, or even, why the like super naked is the category and not some other term just to describe it as being more of an upright riding position because it could just as well have a fairing and that's not going to interfere with the function of the motorcycle in any way. I mean, you can still have a little bit taller handlebars and these don't even really have much of a lower rear set on them. It's still a pretty sporty position, um, but they could just as well have a full fairing on it. I feel like I'm not sure why that's the defining characteristic of the class of motorcycle is that it's naked and not like, like, it, like sport standard. They could just as well call it that. Yeah. But that's you know? not, that, that doesn't sound cool. That doesn't sound like a new <laughs> thing. Right. In five or eight years, it'll be something entirely different again. So if I'm it's, sure. if it's not naked, but it's not fully dressed, is there some, you know, fashion analogy we need to make that it's you know like uh like a you know i don't know a swimsuit bike or something although there it's already like, is it's a halter 
<laughs> it's a halter bike. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I saw um, an article this week, and I'm trying to remember where I saw it now. Um, yes, obviously yesterday or Sunday I read it, and it was essentially: Have we reached peak ADV bike? Um, what is just where everyone has come out with ADV bikes, um, but that the demographic to buy one is is typically high income fifty plus. Yeah, um, and it was an interesting question because. Really, especially in the last 18 to 24 months, we've seen a rush of everyone coming to put out, you know, an ADV bike, let alone multiple yeah. ADV bikes for, for a brand. And they even traced it back like this is a long, on a long going thing to, you know, back when uh, uh, Long Way Round came out in 2006, was it? I think. Uh, yeah. Six, seven, something, something like that. Like that. Yeah. Um, but that it's built to this point And, you know, are we reaching the crescendo of it? I think so. And I say that because, and we, we kind of uh, talked about this a little bit last week, I think, but um, you can buy an ADV bike in almost any configuration and size that you can imagine, all the way from 170 horsepower and the uh, KTM uh, 1290 Adventure, and, and then all the way down to even the Chinese manufacturers are building like kind of an ADV bike. Uh, that's like 200 cc's and has 11 horsepower and then everything in between. So everything from a a thousand cc twin, like a super tenure or an Africa twin. And then, uh, even smaller things like in the 400 cc range and even kind of the middleweight bikes, like seven or 800 cc's and like literally everything in between. Um, it seems like every manufacturer has one and many manufacturers have so many, I can't even keep track of them like KTM. So it seems like the market is extremely well saturated with ADV bikes. And I think that was, that was probably another point of, uh, of the article. And I, I, sorry, I just tried to do a quick Google search to see if I could find it and, um, not seeing it, but my Google flu on, you know, two seconds of thing is maybe not the best. Yeah. Um, Eric? Related to that. Like I just, congested. I just saw in the last, uh, 24 hours, uh, we're recording this on Tuesday, the leaked photos of the BMW 310GS, their adventure bike version of their 310cc new bike. To me, it just seems like it's trying too hard, that it's not quite different enough from their regular 310 that they're coming out with to, to be anything meaningful. It's just kind of making it ugly in the same style as the GS. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's so price sensitive at that level, though, for an entry-level bike, for a A-licensed bike or L-licensed bike, whatever, that there's probably not much you really can do, though, is there? Well, that's what I'm thinking is it's not going to have really great suspension. It's not going to be like something that people are going to go on, oh, yeah, you can you can do so much more than this off-road it's kind of like we were talking about last week with the Street Cup. You just repackage the same, well, it's platform sharing, same thing they do with mm-hmm. cars. The engineering, once it's done, you try to repackage as many different ways as you can to sell it to as many different target markets, but you're not actually coming up with anything all that different. Right. 
it's like if you put enough models of the you know it's just like with like a slight variation if you put enough of them out there and somebody's looking for a motorcycle they'll continually come across your brand albeit just with minor differences and the more likely they are to buy your your product but it i don't know it, it seems like it's just kind of overdoing it from my perspective but if it works from a business perspective then i can see maybe um, is this a bike that's gonna be for sale here we have no idea and yeah. and that's what i was gonna say is i'm coming from a uniquely american you know uh i'm forced to think of this from an american perspective and i go i don't know who the buyer of this is uh it may be very different in a different market you know it there could yeah. be a whole lot of people that this makes perfect sense for some other part of the world that I'm not getting. Yeah, I mean, it's, I can uh, see it like southern Southern Europe where it would make a good commuter bike. Yeah, you know, in, in a place where gas is you know four four euros plus a gallon. Oh, I have uh, no problem with and, the BMW and, and high congestion. Yeah, I, but I'm not but sure it's, you're buying a style too, right? So, in in a sense, like a scrambler bike with an ADV bike like this at a low CC, like Ducati is going to make a 400 CC scrambler. Same kind of thing. You're buying it for a style as much as anything else, I would think. Yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess it's no less different than, uh, like the, the bolt, the SCR 950, the, you know, all the, the Yamaha 950, iterations that they've come up with yeah and i don't really like those either and if not we'll create one so we can fill it yeah (laughs) although i don't think the standard g310 is terribly exciting anyways uh well 35 horsepower i mean (laughs) i mean comparing it to the like the duke 390 no it just feels like an also ran to me. And I know BMW's trying. To steal a line from Camden Tubbed, it has 13% more motion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was just listening to them on the way home, and they were talking about um, Porsches and, and how the prices have gotten really ridiculous. And I was telling a friend of mine, same thing that I was telling you guys last week on the podcast, about what the bikes at the auction went for that I was interested in. And they, they went for more than I thought. And he was like, Oh no, those sound like a bargain to me. All you need to do is hold on to that 254 until somebody needs a parts bike and they, they'll be crawling all over, you know, somebody who has one in running shape, you just need to sit on it long enough. So I was thinking, and I'm going to pitch this for next week's topic as what we want to talk about next week what bikes do you think are undervalued and what do you think there's a good chance of them appreciating, like let's say over maybe the next five to 10 years? Cause they were saying some of the Porsches that they really are interested in, some of the BMWs they like, like overnight just skyrocketed. Yeah. Right. And uh, Porsche, Porsche 912 got stupid real fast. Yeah. yeah. I mean, real fast. Well, the, the last air cooled 911 turbos got stupid. Real oh yeah, nine nine threes, yeah. Right, so, and then a friend of mine, um, he's always been a nine eleven uh, fan, and so he had a nine nine three turbo, 
and let it go for a 996 turbo when the 996 came out <laughs> and then recently got a what are they a 997 now um, uh, 991 yeah the 991 one. Yeah. so he just got rid of his 996 and got a 991 but what's funny is his 993 could be probably worth now if like if he still had it worth a, almost as much as he bought his yeah. 991 for yeah 200 which is grand. crazy no problem yeah no problem. And and I'm sure that he probably took a loss on it, a huge loss when he got the 996 because the 993s really weren't worth much when the 996s came out. But then, well, there was sorry, not to go, not to sound like Camden Tub podcast all of a sudden, but <laughs> yeah. Porsches and occasionally. But there was there was a pretty strong group of people who bemoaned the loss of air-cooled Porsches for the water-cooled right. ones. So there was yeah. so the 993s always had better resale value than some other ones because they were the last of the air-cooled. Not right. to say that they didn't depreciate at the time, because they did, but they've always been much more valuable than, say, the 964. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. I'm going to swing this back around to motorcycles, if I can. <laughs> and Pete, it sounds like you want to say something. Yeah, well, I... I want to take that scenario and let's talk bikes. Which are the bikes that are are primed to appreciate? And I want our our listeners and people on Hooniverse give us your suggestions ahead of time. So we're telling you now for next week, but I want to get some feedback from some other people. As our listeners, tell us what you think are the bikes that are on the launch pad ready to appreciate in value because – there are some uh, Vetter Hurricanes have just exploded in value. There, mm-hmm. you can't touch one for under thirty thousand dollars, regardless of condition now. And uh, I'm trying to think of some other, uh, probably some Euro- European motocross bikes like the uh, Bull Tacos and CZs and things like that. If you if you have a really nice one, I, I will say that I have noticed over the five years that I've been putting mine together. I'm glad I bought parts when I did, because even just parts on eBay, used parts are going up in at least what the ask is. I don't know if people are selling them, but what they're asking for them is going up not dramatically. Engine parts are still cheap, but uh, I think a lot of it depends on the model. The harder to find bikes you know the the real classic ones and the rare ones are are definitely going up in value the supplies are drying up and people are definitely taking notice of that and i know like uh mako's and ktm's the big air-cooled open class bikes from the from the 80s have have really gone up so anyways we don't we don't won't take up our whole episode this week talking about it but that's something but you had something you wanted to say is it yeah well i was uh, thinking about porsches and how expensive they are made me think about um like one of the primary things i love about motorcycles is you can buy the best of the best for twenty twenty five thousand dollars whereas in the automotive world you would have to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to get the best of the best and so um, you know, like I was just talking about Aprilia Tuanos or or the KTM Super Duke or FZ10. And, and they're all amazing bikes. And it would be hard to find, at least in that category, a better motorcycle. And we're talking about $15,000, $20,000. So that's what I love about motorcycles is that you can 
you can get the Porsche 911 Turbo, or you can get an investment bike for ten or fifteen thousand dollars, and you know you can hold on to it, and it's not going to just completely fry your bank account to do. So that's what I love. We, I had that conversation a while back about motorcycle fuel mileage. I had somebody complaining to me. He was like, man, I, I really took my bike out and flogged it and I'm, I'm getting down, you know, low 30 miles per gallon. I get better mileage than that in my, I forget what he had. He's like a forerunner or Nara. What's their little tiny Toyota? RAV4? RAV4, thank you. It's like, my RAV4 will get as good a mileage. I'm like, yeah, but one's a RAV4, and the other one, I think it was like a a 1400cc concourse. You know, it's like... Yeah. (laughs) It's like, okay, the amount of power that it makes and... The, the concourse of- has more power than the RAV4, okay? Exactly. Right. exactly. <laughs> now, I think his his RAV4 may have been the V6, and they actually have some pretty powerful V6 engines yeah. in there. But, uh, and the way you're driving it, I'm sure if you flogged a V6 RAV4, you're not going to get 30 miles a gallon. I mean, you're, no, you're talking and- steady state, 55-mile-an-hour driving down the highway, you're going to get that. So, I but was also, like, you're, in, you're- a, in a newer vehicle, you're turning 2,200 RPMs on the highway. And on a motorcycle, even even a torquey, low-geared motorcycle, you're still going to turn 3,800 or so on the highway, which, I mean, you're going to use more fuel. And if you compare that to something like, uh, I don't know, a Audi R8 or a Huracan. Oh, yeah. Huracan, excuse me. I, you, right. <laughs> silent H. <laughs> Uh, compare apples to apples yeah. as far as price or uh, performance or gas miles or anything as far as what's practical for the average everyday guy. And bikes usually will come out on top. Yeah, agreed. Very true. Sorry, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, like, I, I just came up with four different bikes for next week. So I'm like, <laughs> okay, now I got to. Now, the thing is, I yeah. got to write them down before I forget them, right? So, I know, right. You know, every week there are things that I think <clears throat> ahead of time, oh, I got to mention this on the podcast. And then after it's over, we log off of Skype and I'm like, oh, I didn't mention this. I didn't mention that. I mean, and now I don't remember what any of them are now. I, I could make some age jokes at this point, but I'm not going to. <laughs> but you just did. <laughs> sorry i'm writing three down right now just so i don't forget because now i gotta remember what the fourth one was um but i wrote three of them down so i guess that counts for something provided i can find that note next week right well i am i am definitely interested to hear whether we get anything from other listeners yeah but i'll ponder it i already have a couple in my head so i'll probably write those down we can talk about it so Here's a question. We can we can do this for maybe two weeks down the road because uh-huh. it's getting to be that time of the year. Garrett, you probably don't have this problem where you live, but Pete and I do. Dry it's weather. too damn cold to go riding, and then there's <laughs> stuff on the ground that makes it very difficult to go riding. Well, you know, I was riding around on my 750 yesterday, the TX, and on the way home from the ride, it was 37 degrees. Wow. Which I haven't ridden in weather that cold in quite a while. And that kind of took me by surprise because I was still wearing my when we left off, it was decently warm and I was wearing my summer jacket, which I had the wind liner in it. But you can hold it up and you can see through it. I mean, it's it doesn't really block a whole lot. And then it's fall. So there's a lot of leaves on the ground. And where we're riding, there's a bunch of oak trees. And I was just imagining coming through a corner and, and hitting a leaf 
patch and going down or something like that. And so it was a little bit unnerving, uh, you know, riding with all the leaves. I like it kind of before the leaves fall or after they're done and and gone and off the road. But in that kind of three week middle period, it's, it's a little bit hairy in the rural areas. And this is where I, I will say I ride a spider. Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, my wife and I, this is the time of year. We, and we, uh, Saturday, we went out for, uh, I don't know, two and two and a half hours, something like that. Uh, just went out riding, just did a loop outside of town, got out of town. We're fortunate that we're in the suburbs. And if we go out away from town, we get on two lane roads with no traffic pretty quick. And there's plenty of little, two lane roads in rural Missouri that we can go explore. And this is the time of year that we both love riding the most. I don't well, the temperature is usually about perfect. So, right. Yeah. And even, I mean, there are times that we've taken overnight trips in late October and you get fleece lined jeans and it's really nice when you're in cold weather. It doesn't matter if it's raining because a Full rain suit does so much to block the wind that half the time I wear it in, you know, October, November, I'll put a rain suit on just for the uh, warmth that it provides and, yeah. you know, put on some long johns and fleece lined jeans and a heavy jacket and you're good. And I don't have to worry about, oh, gee, there's some slick wet leaves in there. I go, oh, well, okay. Nanny, handle yeah. it. Well, also, I feel like on a spider, so much of your body is is blocked from the wind and the rain that you probably stay pretty inherently dry even without rain gear if you're at I, a decent I, speed. I really don't have any any like the inside of my legs, yeah, but outside of my yeah. legs and knees are I get pretty wet, and uh, I really I have a just the low stock windshield on my RS really doesn't provide it takes the wind pressure off your chest, but it really uh-huh. just takes all that and just dumps it up in your face when it's raining. Yeah. It all just runs down the front and pools in my lap. So you really have to have nice rain gear. My wife, she's got the electric windshield on her. She's got the RT touring model and she just puts the electric windshield all the way up. And she's also got the little, uh, Goldwing style ref, uh, deflector mm-hmm. flaps on the outside, the the wind wings that she can close, yep. and she almost has no rain hitting her. Yeah, but yeah, I I love riding this time of year. This is this is coming into the season that I just I could do it every day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good. Uh, well, then I think we'll probably make this a short one this week. Oh, I I have. Everything I need for the CL125 to get the wonky internal throttle replaced. I got a aftermarket throttle, aftermarket clutch lever and or a brake lever and perch and uh, yeah. kill switch for that side. And I've already got a light switch in the other aftermarket, uh, my instrument cluster for the other grip. Mm-hmm. I've had it since it all the stuff got delivered while I was out of town. And I've been back for a week, and I just have not had a time. It's sitting on the bike, sitting on the seat, <laughs> and it's been untouched for a week. So I need to get down there. And part of it is we have so many ums and errs that it takes me forever to edit the podcast. I know some other Camden Tubbed and Hooniverse and stuff, they don't bother to edit theirs. We 
really need to edit ours. <laughs> <laughs> a couple weeks back, I edited out a full five minutes of ums, errs, and dead airspace. So if yeah. it sounds like we just have these nice flowing conversations where we just articulate every sentence perfectly, it, it, no. It, Cat's out of the bag. They all know now. Yep. yep. We're a bunch <laughs> of imposters. Yep. So let's see. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com, the false neutral, uh, twitter.com, the false neutral. Uh, go check out all of our friends in the Hooniverse network, uh, Camden Tubbed, DFL, who else? Uh, Hooniverse, obviously, the, the Her- yeah. Hooniverse podcast. And um, there's a couple other ones on there I'm not thinking of, probably. But, but mainly ours. <laughs> but mainly ours, yes. Yeah. Like us, share us, subscribe to us, rate us on iTunes. And yeah, please throw some questions about bikes that you think that might have some appreciation potential. Yes. We we'll talk about that next week. Very good. Say goodbye and we'll see you next week. All right. So long. Till next week. <laughs>